Hello and welcome to the Blues Podcast. I'm Big Boy Bloater. Thanks for joining me. You're going to be glad you did join me today or this evening when you're listening because I've got the one and only fantastic guitarist, songwriter, singer, just amazing musician, all round brilliant guy. I haven't seen him for a long time, so this is going to be a great catch up. It's the one and only Dan Polanski. Yay! Hi, Dan. How you doing? Hello. <laughs> I'm good, man. Even better to be chatting to you again, man. So thank it's, you so much for good, having me. It's good to see you. We were just talking just before uh, the cameras started rolling about the last time we met, and it was at uh, HRH Blues in Sheffield, wasn't it? It was about five years ago, maybe, or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think it was like 2015, 2016. And I remember that I only had my electric guitar and amp with me. And they, I was supposed to do an acoustic set like in the afternoon. And you were kind enough to to lend me your uh, guitar for the, the quick set I did. So thank you again for that. Uh, no, you're welcome. Is it my, my Tanglewood. Yeah, I remember it well, because I think... I think they kind of sprung this on us that they wanted everyone to do a little acoustic set in the daytime and then a proper set in the evening. So I turned up with my acoustic and I did like a little half hour just bashing through some stuff. And I tell you what, I find that acoustic really hard to play. In fact, any acoustic, I find it quite hard to play. And uh, <laughs> I agree I with you completely. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you turned up and you know, it's like, oh man, I didn't know I was going to do it. And I was like, here, take my guitar. It's fine. You, you, you know, do what you need to do. It's cool. Uh, you got on the stage and you, and you played it like it was a completely different instrument. I was blown away, really. I was like, oh, thank man, you. it didn't sound like that when I played it. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, brother. You, also, you played directly after me and I'm so glad I played before you because, you know, I, I feel when you play an acoustic guitar, it's it's it sounds like someone who knows what they're doing on an acoustic guitar. I try and play an acoustic guitar like an electric guitar, which never quite works out in my favor. I think for me, is, is, is I know I can't pull off on the acoustic what I can do on, on the electric. So I just tend to, to to bang the hell out of it, really, and hope for the best. You know, you know just hope, <laughs> hope it makes some noise and, and <laughs> I'll just have a beer and try and cover things up. So, But it, it, was, it, was, it was really interesting for me to see you play that guitar and just the way you could whiz around it. And it was brilliant. Really, I really enjoyed that set. I really did. I think a lot of people at, uh, at HRH Blues enjoyed that as well. So Anyway, anyway, we should stop all this reminiscing about us and, and get on to you and talk about you because I want to, uh, you know, have a little chat about... Um, what the, what the whole the whole career really from start to finish i mean you know it's uh, a lot of people tuning in today are going to be big fans of yours and uh i'm sure they've got all the, the you know the most recent records and stuff but it'd be nice to go to, right back to the beginning so uh if we can jump in our time machine and do that wavy sort of thing and uh, born in south africa right raised in south africa yeah and actually still here yeah um and it's a i think you're right it's a it's a strange place to be, you know, to come from to be a blues player because right. you know, South Africa, Africa in general is not exactly known for, for the blues and, and, and the blues musicians. Um, but I think my love for the blues and roots music in general came from my parents' love for the music because, you know, I grew up um, listening to their stuff constantly in the house, like literally every waking moment there was a there was a record playing and it was you know the old school blues stuff the more modern blues stuff classic rock stuff all the i suppose roots based stuff so yeah it's you know it, it, that was i suppose the seed that was planted early enough to 
you know, to really love the blues. And, and when I picked up the guitar, it felt, it felt like the, 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 the most natural music to play because I felt like I knew it because I'd listened yeah. to it so much. Yeah. So what, what was going on? Uh, I mean, I know, you know, South Africa's not massively known for its blues particularly, but, but what was going on mainstream at the time music wise? I mean, was, was that not appealing to you? Well, you know, it was, I suppose it was like everywhere else. I mean, we, we had the same, you know, so I was born in the early eighties, 81. And, you know, by the time I was at the age of, you know, listening to music and appreciating music, it was, you know, it was the early nineties and yeah. late eighties type of type of stuff. And, you know, there was definitely a stage where I kind of fought the urge to, 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 to listen to the blues because my parents listened to the blues and I was like, that's not. <laughs> That's not cool to listen to the music yeah. your parents listen to. So I fought quite hard and I listened to, I suppose, the stuff that, you know, other kids in 1991 and 1992 were listening to. But that was a very, very brief period. And um, so, so so to answer your question, the, the, the stuff was exactly the stuff that was happening in the UK. All that kind yeah. of pop, you know, the grunge scene was, was, was big here too. Um, and, you know, and, you know, because of our... I suppose our shady past, the the country shady past with apartheid and all that sort of stuff. You know, there wasn't much of a South African music scene to speak of, right? right. I mean, there were certainly artists. There was the odd artist doing the thing and making a name for themselves, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It was very very difficult to do. I think in 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 that era, it was. You know, if you played in a band, you you played in a, a cover band in pubs and you did top 40 kind of hits. That's what you, you did. And that's what people wanted to hear. And I suppose nothing's really changed. I mean, you know, that, that whole scene still exists and it's still, I suppose, a very popular thing, but there wasn't the other side like of saying, yeah. well, I want to do this particular thing. And, you know, like, obviously, as you know, the blues is, is a niche anywhere in the world. And you can imagine how, how niche it is in South Africa if it's niche yeah. in the UK and <laughs> in in the States, you know what I mean? So, but you know, uh, you know, when, when the country changed and all that, it, it, it almost opened doors to say, so you know, so you could actually go and say, you know what, started, I'm playing what I want to play now. And I don't care if I don't make money out of it. I don't care if the future looks bleak and grim because of the, you know, cause when I started with the blues, everyone just told me the same thing. It's like, Oh, dude, why are you playing the blues? I mean, it's like, you, you know, you need to be playing pop music. You need to be doing this and that. And the next thing, <laughs> yeah, and, right. and you're like, yeah, whatever. I, I don't care about the money. It's just, I, I want to play what I'm passionate about. If you're enjoying the blues podcast, then make sure to follow the Spotify playlist blues meets rock. Not only is it filled with great contemporary blues artists, it also features all the guests we've had here on the Blues Podcast. So head over to Spotify and follow Blues Meets Rock to take a listen. And now, back to our guest on the Blues Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just thinking back to like the late 80s, the pop music that was about then. I mean, I think it was probably pop's worst period the late 80s so i'm not surprised that like more kids didn't get into blues frankly because it was what was on offer in the charts was just pretty diabolical in my opinion i mean you know all that kind of stock Aiken waterman pop stuff I mean, that was terrible wasn't it i mean god 
Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. It was a, it was a grim period for yeah. music. It really was. Yeah. For pop music, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone listening who loves the eight, late 80s, uh, sorry, but uh, you're wrong. You're wrong. It was a terrible time. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you did exactly the right thing getting into blues. And, you know, I think all those people who said to you, oh, man, you know, you know, playing blues, you're never going to make any money. I think they probably didn't realise that no one in music makes any money anyway. So it's like, <laughs> hey, well, what the hell? I don't care, you know? Exactly. You, you don't get into music it's to get rich, right? Point. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you absolutely daft if that's, if that's what you think is going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, there's, a, there's a saying that I often use that... Um, most musicians you know are either much poorer than you think or much richer than you think and no one's kind of in the middle kind of it's like the, the real top tier and then everybody else is like earning nothing pretty much you know kind of thing so exactly. it's uh, no middle class yeah. no, no middle class at all <laughs> <laughs> so um you know you're in south africa you're, you're growing up it's the it's late 80s uh the the the, the music in the charts is crap you you turn to your your parents' record collection, uh, you know, found some great stuff in there. I mean, what was really jumping out from that record collection for you at the time? What was what was the main players there? Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of started, like, did, like, a backwards thing. So I started with the, I suppose, the modern guys, you know, of yeah. that era. So I started listening to, um, even though he wasn't that era, but it was kind of modern blues rock. So I started listening to a bit of Hendrix, and I felt that was, like, a good... You know, for a 11-year-old boy, it was a good little, you know, <laughs> pathway into the blues. It wasn't like you're going straight into Sun House or something, right? Yeah, you, right, yeah. You know, you, you know what I mean? That that takes a bit of time and, 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 and listening to the blues to get to. So I started with Hendrix, Steve Ray Vaughan, and then, you know, a bunch of the, you know, like what we consider blues rock now, like like the Zeppelins of the world. And, and Pink Floyd was a big influence on me. Right, yeah, yeah. The, the, the whole thing was it was the album covers as a kid i was so intrigued by you know these these crazy uh, uh surreal kind of artworks on, on, on and i always thought i have to i have to hear the music that goes with this image right and i really got into pink floyd um a slightly later stage but yes yeah, so i started with the claptons and the the right, stevies yeah. and Walter Trouts, you know, like the modern blues guys. Yeah. And then slowly but surely worked my way backwards and then got into, you know, the Kings, like Elba King, Freddie King, BB King, uh, yeah. you know, T-Bone Walker, Elba Collins, all these guys. And then, you know, just kept on heading backwards until, you know, I was listening to guys like Robert Johnson and, and Sun House and, you know, you know, those, those yeah. old school kind of, uh, guys and it was just an awesome experience an awesome journey doing it that way because i find you know with my kids if i want you know when i try and get them into the blues and obviously that's you know it's a big goal of mine to try yeah. and you know cultivate that love for the blues you know i never if i put in a sun house cd they just don't understand you know yeah. like I, I played my daughter sun house once and she was like why does it sound like so scratchy and and i was like because yeah. it was recorded a million and one years ago that's yeah, why yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah um so so i start them off with obviously like the the modern stuff um you know and that was the same journey for me pretty much yeah i think in some ways blues is like alcohol you know 
you don't start off on the, on the top shelf kind of whiskies and that sort of thing. You start off on the alco pops, right? You know, the easy stuff to get into and you work your way up, you know, the sweet ciders, that kind of thing. You work your way through and as you get a taste for it, you start to develop it. And then you, you know, you don't go straight to the top shelf. And that's, I think that's my analogy for blues and alcohol. Yeah. Big time. You're not drinking <laughs> scotch on your first, your first, your first outing as a drinker. You know. Yeah, you're gonna so right. you're gonna spit that out. So it tastes like petrol, right? It's gonna be you'd be like, God, <laughs> exactly. man, you know, it's just too much. It's just ah, fire water, right? So yeah, you exactly. go for the nice alco pop and you know, the sweet stuff, getting easy. And uh, yeah, I think it's the same with blues. So it's uh, yeah, big time. Um, let's let's talk about um, guitar playing then. So uh, uh, you know you're listening to all this blues stuff, and it was it's obviously the guitar that leaps out for you, is it? And you, you say I want to play guitar. And was was it your parents who, who managed to get you a guitar, or did you have to go and steal one from somewhere? Or, or... yeah, so you know all the music I grew up listening to, even the stuff that I was listening to, like in the early '90s, like Nirvana, when I was when I was, you know. You know, not doing the blues thing or, or trying not to do the blues thing yeah. um it was all guitar driven right everything i had almost ever heard in my life was guitar driven and my parents loved the guitar driven type of type of sound so i i think it was for my 10th birthday i got a guitar um it was one of those classical nylon string acoustic oh, guitars. yeah yeah and for some reason in those days i don't know if it was the same in the uk but it was like, if you got a first guitar, you weren't allowed to get a steel string acoustic or an electric guitar. Yeah. You had to start off on the nylon string classical guitar with, with a neck this wide. Yeah, exactly like, the same for me. Exactly the same. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I think it's probably because it's softer on your fingertips or, or whatever the case was. But, you know, no one explained to me, because I was clueless about the guitar itself. No one explained to me that... You know, if I got a guitar like that and I wanted to sound like Jimmy Page or, or Hendrix, that that's not necessarily the guitar that's going to get you that tone and that sound. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I would, I went to the, uh, like a local teacher down the road every Thursday afternoon and I asked him, we did the basics and then asked him to teach me a, a Hendrix song. And he showed it to me. I think he showed me Purple Haze or yeah. Hey Joe, one of those, those, those songs. And I played it, I could kind of hear it sounded like the song, but it sounded nothing like the song. And just that I lost complete interest in the instrument because I was like, that sounds nothing like Hendrix. That sounds nothing like ACDC or, yeah. or yeah. whatever I was learning. And no one told me, oh yeah, you need an electric guitar and, a, and an amplifier and maybe a pedal or two. That's what gets you that, you know, closer to that kind of sound. So I think from even that stage tone was such a, a crucial thing to me, like the tone of the guitar. Cause it's like the first thing I feel that hits you, you know, it's like before you hear the melody, before you hear the phrasing, the feel, it's that tone. It's like the vehicle that carries the, the melody and the, and the notes on. And that's always, you know, from that, from, even from those moments, I was, I was like, that's not what I want to hear. So I lost interest and left the guitar in the corner yep. of the room and only picked it up on Thursday afternoons just before the lesson. Yeah. Blew the dust off and learnt, <laughs> learnt a few things in the lesson. And then, you know, my parents kind of thought, oh, he's not really interested in this. We're not going to waste our money. And I think at 13 years old, I got, uh, I saved up some money and I bought a, like a very cheap, like Strat copy, right? 
And that's for me when everything kind of began because all of a sudden I was going, all right, that's that's now closer to yeah David Gilmore sound or or Steve Ray Vaughan sound. It's like it wasn't anywhere close, but it was closer yeah. than, than yeah. I was getting, and that was an inspiring thing for me to practice to, you know, sit you know sit at home you know after school um, and on weekends and not go to parties because I was I was just so in, engulfed with with this instrument and sitting with a with the CD, I suppose, in those days and trying to learn, you know, what was on the CD. Cause you know, it was the, the days before tabs were yeah. you know, big <laughs> on the internet and it was a good thing. I think, you know, it was a long process, but at least your ears got, uh, got trained at the same time. It wasn't just a case of, oh, it's easy. Just download a, a tab and, and you can yeah, kind yeah. of play a, a version of the song. Yeah. So for me, that was the beginning of the love of guitar playing and yeah, I never look back, man. Still, still as in love with the guitar, yeah, more so than ever. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's funny. So much of what you said there resonated with me. It's exactly my story. You know, getting the getting the acoustic guitar. You know, the nylon string guitar at about ten years old. Uh, you know, and, and playing it for the first time and thinking, well, this sounds like shit. This is this isn't rocking out. This is like, what is this? Uh, you know, and then basically leaving it in the corner. It's getting covered in dust. You know, every time the guitar teacher turns up brush it down quickly you try you know yeah. <laughs> you, you lose interest and it was i think it was just by chance that my dad bumped into someone in a pub and he bought a, like a, a strat copy for five pounds you know in some dodgy bar deal or something you know and it was a it was an absolute dog of a guitar it had been painted with a with a big paintbrush leopard skin the whole thing the body wow. the neck the fingerboard everything had been painted leopard skin like yellow with brown spots and it was terrible terrible guitar but as soon as i plugged it in and, and hit a chord it was like yeah this is what i wanted this is this is where it's at this is yeah that that's uh, and it's like yeah i was off then it was great and it was um it, it's interesting that you know i think probably so many guitarists around the world have that same story you know say to the mum and dad yeah. i want to play guitar and for christmas they get this nylon classical thing <laughs> supposed to do with that that's not a guitar yeah, well, yeah that sounds nothing like a guitar it's like yeah that's not even is this even a guitar yeah you don't <laughs> even use a spectrum i mean what's what's going on i, I know yeah. Yeah. it was it was we have exactly the same story in other yeah. words because it's it's it, yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> uh, i also wanted to ask quickly as well how um you know growing up in in south africa in the in the, uh, the late 80s and the 90s how easy was it to get the, the music that you wanted to get hold of. I mean, obviously your parents had what sounds like a pretty good record collection, but how easy was it to go from there and go, well, do you know what? I want to hear this now. And could you just go down to a shop and buy something? Or did you have to do like mail order to the States or something like that? At that point, I mean, obviously CD shops were still a massive thing, you know? Um, and you, I mean, we had a ton of CD shops um, and music shops that you could go buy music, but 90% of them were fairly small and most of the music was more of your mainstream yeah. you know top 40 sort of stuff and if they had blues records it would be you know a very very small selection so stuff that that sells so like you could get a gary moore album you could get clapton albums and you could find the odd steve ray vaughan album so when it came to looking for things that you know they, they were a little bit more niche a little bit lesser known that i wanted to check out and hear because we didn't have the internet just to go yeah 
let me hear what this guy sounds like. You had to order it, pay the money, and then wait for like a month or two because it, it was a mail order thing. So the, the CD shop itself, you would put the order in, they would find out where it was, and they would actually order it into you and then, then give you a, a ring you up when, when it arrived. And it was actually yeah. quite an exciting process because it wasn't yeah. that instant gratification. You like, you waited for like sometimes two, three months, and you're like, I cannot wait for this album to arrive. I've heard so much. I've read, I've read about it in the guitar magazine, or I've read about it in, in in this publication. I cannot wait to hear it. And then finally, the day comes where they where they ring you up and you like you go and grab your CD and and then you listen to that CD until the CD doesn't work anymore. It's like you, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, because it, it, it's this thing you've waited for. You 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 treasured it, and and if it's something you enjoy, I mean that you, I would spin that CD literally until it was just non-playable anymore and it was it was a special time yeah yeah i think that's i think it's a really interesting thing actually i think because i think the way we consume music now almost devalues it to a point where it's just like it's throwaway you can just listen to anything you want instantly and you don't have that weeks and weeks and weeks of waiting to hear it or you know it don't have that build up doesn't make it as valuable i don't think it's I guess that's a it's a real shame that we've lost that but hey that's yeah i think i think you're right we have it's definitely lost value just because we spoil for choice and you know the, the thing that always saddens me is how often do people sit down and listen to a record from song one to the last song and yeah. listen to the journey because as you know you know it's not just about the individual songs it's about the the journey that the entire album takes you on and you know, I think in the blues that still exists. I think people would still put the put the record on from song one and just let it play and listen to it as a whole. But I think for the most part that doesn't happen anymore. People yeah. go, "Oh, I like that song. I like I like track three um, and track nine, and then let me go into an, another album." Yeah. And I think you you miss a big part of what the artist was kind of putting across. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. And also there's that thing of, you know, you say you, you, you bought, you buy a CD and you wait for it for ages and it turns up. I've had CDs like that. I bought when I, you know, I was much younger and I'd wait for this CD to turn up and I put it on and at first listening, I thought, oh, this is really disappointing. This shit. I don't like it. I don't like it, you know? Mm. And it's sat in my collection for months, maybe even a couple of years. And then I've gone back to it and played it and gone through it again and thought, actually, do you know what? I really like that. And I really like that. So I think your taste changes. And if you, if you go for an album, pick out your favorites, put them in your playlist and only ever listen to that. Sure. Then you, you, you sort of missing out on as your taste changes and develops, you might like something else on that album at some point, but you've already kind of been the rest of the album, just kept the, the stuff you like at the time. So I think that's a real shame, but it is a shame. Got. And it's, and it's always, it's always great when you you know i don't know if it's the same with you but sometimes i'm sick of what i'm listening to like i'm listening to the same yeah same stuff constantly yeah and then you get to those points where you're like i want something new i want something to inspire me i want i want a, a different something different and i and i'll sit on you know like the streaming platforms and just stare at my phone and go 
I don't know who to even search. Yeah. Like, I don't even know where to begin. There's too much. You know, I mean, you it's, end up, yeah. there's too much. But when you've got like, like a CD rack or, or a vinyl rack or, or whatever, you can actually, oh yeah, that, there's that that I haven't heard in 6,000 yeah. years. And let me, let me pop it in. And then you got, you got, you got a bit of freshness happening. Yeah. 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 But, you know, the other side of the coin is as well, though, that we could, you know, any, any, you know, if somebody says to you, hey, you should check out this guy. He's really good. I think you'll like him. You can just instantly get online, listen to the whole catalogue and go, wow, yeah, this is fantastic. So, I mean, it's made music so much more accessible, but at the same time, more throwaway as well, kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, a double edged sword. It's a, a shit business, eh? But, uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, getting back to you anyway, we should stop talking about music industry, talk about you a bit more. How did you get your first blues band together? I mean, if, obviously blues is not that massive in South Africa. Did you, how did you find like-minded people? Was it, did you have to go to like, you know, cities over and, you know, <laughs> kind of find someone down a back alley somewhere or was it, was there a kind of a, a little blues kind of, you know, scene going on? Well, I, I don't think there was much of a blues scene going on, but I mean, I remember putting my first band together for a, a school battle of the bands, right? <laughs> that was like the first thing that it was the first thing we, I had to work towards. Like, oh, right, this is going to actually be in front of live human beings. It's not just messing around in the garage type of thing. So I had a little band together and, um, you know, I don't think they were particularly into the blues. But I just kind of made a call. I said, well, I want to do the blues thing. Um, and the bass player was pretty keen. And the drummer just kind of followed suit. And, you know, the more we played, the the more they got into the blues, the more they learned about the blues. I mean, we were we were absolutely horrifically awful, you know, <laughs> the, as a band, like everything. I've still got footage like on an old like, oh, wow. like uh, VCR and it's it's horrific of us rehearsing. And, you know, I actually, that's the reason I started singing is because we, I could not find, I had no interest in singing. I just wanted to play guitar right, yeah. and to find someone that wanted to sing the blues. It wasn't even someone who could sing the blues. It was just someone who had the desire to even you know, sing the blues was virtually impossible. So, you know, it, it wasn't, I wasn't chuffed about it, but I, I started, you know, trying to sing because it, it was just sounding boring, just playing 12 bar blues yeah. very badly for an hour in, 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 in a bunch of different keys and just noodling around with bad phrasing on a guitar. That's what it sounded like. So I started, you know, trying to sing, you know, the basic old, you know, Muddy Waters and like, you know, Hoochie Coochie Man and, you know, those, those, those ones you, yeah. you tend to start singing, you know, a little, a little bit easier to sing. And it, and it sounded like a cat being skinned it really really did you know it was it was horrific but you know i had no choice it wasn't like there was like a, a a singer waiting in the wings and you go oh yeah i've given this a go it's it's not this is not for me um let's get a proper singer and it was just like well just just keep going try and get better at try and get better at it and eventually we'll you know hopefully we'll get somewhere with it so that was it was a difficult thing finding players in other words yeah but you did it you managed it and you you persevered uh, where, where, where did you guys start gigging? I mean, again, was the, was the, did you have to just kind of force yourself into some bars and go, look, you're going to listen to the blues now and, and, and you know, put up with it. Yeah, it was pretty much like that. So <laughs> uh, that was probably like, I'd say mid to late nineties, like 97, somewhere around there. Um, it's 
I was about 16 years old or, or, or whatever the case was. And we had this little band, we had a little, a little set, you know, um, and in those days, I don't know if it was the same on your side of the world, but if you wanted to get a gig, you had to, you had to prepare for four 45 minute sets. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, I don't know if I could listen to anyone in the world for, for, for four hours, pretty much. It's, yeah. it's just too much, but that was like the name of the game back then. It was like, if you want to play, it's four 45 minute sets. So we had four 45 minute sets and you know, there was the odd local little venue and pub type of thing. And, you know, because there was a lot of people, my parents age frequenting these pubs and a lot of them grew up on the same, you know, that sixties blues boom, you know, cream and, you know, know, that sound, you know, um, there was a little bit of a following for it. And there was a, almost a, a gap in the market in a sense, because, it wasn't like there was a ton of blues bands like flying around in, or in the city. I grew up in Johannesburg. There, there, there was nothing, right? Maybe the odd guy that was doing something. Yeah. So it was, I was very lucky in that sense because when we started playing, we always seemed to get an audience in um, because it was advertised and, and people would see, oh, it's blues. Never heard of the guy before, but it's blues. Where else do you get to go see blues? Yeah, right. So we immediately kind of started, we quite quickly built up a following. Um, and in that sense, I was, I think, very, very lucky that the music scene was, you know, non-existent to a point and the blues was non-existent because, you know, it, it, you were the only one. So it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to fail if you're the only one type of thing, you know? Yeah, it's kind of a nice situation to be in, really. I guess it's like if you're the only band in town, hey, people are going to come and listen to you, right? I mean, did that make it harder than when you sort of started getting out further into the world and suddenly you were up against, you know, you're in a city and they've got 300 blues bands in this city? Did it? Did that kind of daunt you or did you just go, nope, I don't care, we've got our own thing and we're coming to do it, we're coming to give it to you, come play for you now? Was it easy or hard? I, th- I, think, I think it was a bit of both. I think... Um, you know, especially at that age, you fearless, right? You like yeah. almost arrogantly fear. You just like yeah. listen to me. This is the this is what you need to hear right now. This yeah. is this is where it's at. You got that arrogance and that confidence. Um, but you know, my whole life, I you know, I had you know older guys saying, "Well, wait until you hear the guys in the states." You know, yeah. like you know, I'm sure you heard that too growing up. It's like yeah. if you just walk down the road in your leans, yeah, you'll you'll hear buskers that'll just like that are better than everyone. You know, yeah, yeah, best you'll live here in your life, and you're going, wow, that's that's incredible, and and all that, and you know, the, my first kind of stint outside of South Africa was the States, and it was New Orleans, right, wow. and you know the deep it end, was, right? It yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah, it was like whoa, off we go. But crazy enough, I. You know, it, uh, New Orleans isn't Guitar City. Yeah, it's, right. You know, there's, there's great, don't get me wrong, there's great guitar yeah. players there, but it's not like Austin or, or yeah. Texas where it's just like, you, you know, you just trip over brilliant guitar players. It's, yeah. it's, it was more of a, like a horn city and yeah. bass player, drummer, like rhythm section city. I mean, that was just out of control. So, but it was still a very, very daunting thing doing those first couple gigs, you know, for an American audience, uh, you know, and, and, I'm this like skinny South African guy that's never left the country before. Now you're playing in the, 
the heartland of the blues supposedly and and, and all that it was daunting but I, i'm glad i did it at that age because i had that fearless kind of mentality and and you know it was the same coming to the uk for the first time right because the uk's blues scene you know at least through my eyes is a very healthy one it, right it, yeah. it is the, you guys have got you're not short of of in, exceptional blues musicians you know yeah. like yourself like there's there's a there's a there's a scene there and for me when you got a healthy scene like that and there's healthy competition it's amazing how all your skill levels just start to immediately get better and it a lot quicker because you have to yeah it's right. that sink or swim type of thing and then now you're hearing these guys and these guys that are like half your age type of thing and you're going damn I better I better go home and practice a bit and I better go write better songs I better work my voice more and I you know I, I better work on all these different elements and for me the biggest um, improvement I saw uh, I've ever seen in my playing was when I started touring internationally and ex yeah. and being on scenes that were actually populated with incredible musicians and bands and that really pushed me yeah yeah at what point was it where you started getting into songwriting was it something that you'd always kind of wanted doing always wanted to do alongside the guitar playing or was there a point where you thought do you know what if i'm going to do this i've got to start writing my own songs instead of playing other people's songs i've always loved the thought of being able to write a song you know um you know i think it was uh, due to the fact that i didn't just listen to the classic blues thing um it's you know I, I, you know and i don't mean that any disrespect to the blues but you know yeah. the classic blues thing has a has a formula it's that you know that 12 bar or the eight bar formula yeah you know there's certain formulas and obviously there's a lot of stuff that stretches out of there too but because i i had you know i listened to a lot of you know stuff outside of the blues um that was heavily song driven um it was always a, a, almost a sideline passion i want to be able to write a song that people want to listen to but still at the same time have my my artistic voice coming across and all that and you, you know what it's like the the more you do something the better you get at it and yeah. at the beginning yeah. it was absolute bollocks i mean <laughs> if i listen go think back to the songs that i was i, I wrote that i thought were absolute masterpieces <laughs> but you know what i mean but it's it you learn the more you write yeah. you learn you learn how to write and for me the most important thing is learning how to write for my for, for me and my own voice because i used to always make the mistake in the past of writing these songs with these epic melodies great in principle and you go in studio and yeah you, you got ten thousand takes to, to to get it right type of thing <laughs> yeah. and then you go then now it's like oh now you got to go tour the the album and now you you got to sing that live and then then it's just not a doable thing because i'm not writing for my voice because i feel i'm not a yeah I'm, I'm definitely not a natural singer i'm not one of those those singers that just like you know from a kid was doing choir and yeah right and yeah has this natural range i, I i've constantly got to work on it and you know it's about knowing your voice and knowing what you sound good singing and what you sound terrible uh, singing and avoid that and kind of move to that side so for me that's been my biggest one of my biggest goals with um, the songwriting journey and process yeah uh, yeah i get that totally when you're songwriting now these days how do you stay within the kind of 
remit of the blues, but keep things fresh? Or do you just not care about the remit? You just go, I'm going to write a song, however it comes out. That's how it is. And we'll see what happens. I always write on acoustic guitars, right? Uh, because I, f uh, I feel, um, and, and a producer once told me to do this and it was quite game changing for me. If I write in an electric, uh, I start arranging the song before it's even written, right? So yeah. I start like working out what tones and what notes I'm gonna play in the solo. And, yeah. and I'm like, whoa, 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 put the brakes on. Like I haven't even finished the song. I don't even have a melody yet. I've, I've just written a few chords for, for like a verse. And, and, and I haven't gone there yet. So I firstly, I write on the acoustic, um, which as you know, from the beginning of our conversation, it's yeah. quite a limiting thing for an electric guitar player. Yeah. You can't get fancy and, and, and too crazy. So, and I also try and write with basic open chords. So like right down at the bottom of the neck and yeah. try and say, if I can't write something with the basic open chords, then it's not worth um, yeah, if I can't perform it on my own with an acoustic guitar, um, and I'm not relying on a band, I'm not relying on fancy tones and arrangements to make the song better. It's the song as it's bare bones as is strong enough. Then I know it's something worth working on. So I always start from strange enough, a, a countryish type of okay. type of place. And when I say country, I'm not talking about like Shania Twain and, yeah. and modern <laughs> pop country. I'm talking about like, you know, like old school, yeah. like almost like what Chris, what Chris Stapleton does. And I mean, I would, you know, I feel embarrassed even putting my name and Chris Stapleton's name in the same sentence. I mean, he, he's unbelievable. Um, so I like to write like that. And then I always feel as soon as I bring it to the electric guitar and I start trying to arrange it for a band and all that sort of thing, because my, my first love is, is the blues, blues rock. Right. Yeah. And immediately without even trying to steer it in that direction, it goes into that direction. Yeah. If, if I like it or not, I start, you know, changing the chord voicings up and then, you know, the, it's, it sounds more blues or a little bit more edgy or a little bit more, you know, in your face or, or whatever the case is. Yeah. And then, but the whole point is the song is still, for, for me, it's still there. It's, you've still got something there to kind of go, well, that the base of the song is strong. And then the, then the ranging is the, obviously the fun part is, is, is what you're going to do with it, but it always yeah. ends up being a blues in that direction anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's, again, it's exactly the same for me. You know, I, I set out and I try and write something a little bit different. But I don't know what it is about the blue. The blue. This is going to sound terrible, but the blues is like a stench you can't wash off, right? It's just it's always there. It's it just it, you know as soon as you start playing anything, like say on electric guitar, that you can smell it again. You can smell that smell, and it's just there. It's a, it, and it's not it's necessarily there. not necessarily a bad stench, but it's a stench that is just won't wash off, and it's with you always. It, I think you know for better or worse. Thank goodness for that because it's, I just love it, man. I really, yeah. really do. It's, yeah. it's, it's in the blood and it, it never goes away. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to live it, haven't you? Let's bring it right up to date now a little bit because I know you, you've got a new album coming out. And how's, how's it been working on that? I mean, how's uh, not wanting to get too deep into the boring stuff about pandemics and all that, but how much did that affect you guys uh, over in South Africa and how much did it affect your songwriting and your playing and stuff like that? Well, I mean, strangely enough, it was, it was a good thing for me and a, and a, and a terrible thing, obviously, you know, because, yeah. you know, before this COVID thing hit, my entire income 
came from live performance. You know, the, I didn't have any other sources of income. It was yeah. solely live performance. And so it was a big shock that March of 2022 when the entire world just went, we're done. And it was the same here in South Africa, everything locked down and no live performances. I mean, yeah. it was, we even had cigarettes and alcohol ban. Wow. Like you weren't, it oh. was like illegal. And I was, I was a full on smoker. So I was, uh, I mean, I, and I'll admit it, I was buying very expensive, shitty, illegal cigarettes, you know, from, I felt like, I felt like I was buying heroin. Yeah. With you, you know, because not, you know, you're getting, uh, oh, it's just crazy. But anyway, um, so that was pretty bad. But the, the, the beauty of it was, was I've never had that much time in my life to write, to practice, to learn new, new things on the guitar, learn new things with your voice. Um, I started a Patreon page, um, yeah. you know, that whole thing. And that, that, that actually that got me through, it got me through, um, you know, putting lessons up and I'm still doing it to this day and got a great community there. Um, and that got me through financially and I was still lucky enough to play the guitar and earn a living out of it, which was for me, a miracle that, that I didn't have to, you know, get another job during this, this, this yeah, pandemic. Right. But you know, the, 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 yeah, the songwriting thing was great. Um, and you know, this new album shelter of bones really, it started before the COVID thing. Cause the original recordings were done in 2019 and it was due to be released in beginning of 2020 or right. April, 2020, obviously didn't release it cause I couldn't tour the album. And that was a great thing because I, I could really sit with the album and sit back and go, Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that chorus. Like yeah, I, right. I can do that much better. So rewrite it. Or I played that a bit sloppy or I didn't like the tone on that or that whole song must go, you know what I mean? And I must get a, get a fresh one in. So I had literally, you know, it was like a year and a half of, of writing, rewriting, rearranging, and eventually went into studio, um, last year at the beginning of last year and you know, redid the parts in the album I wanted, yeah. kind of finalized everything. And I mean, when else would you get an opportunity like that? It's normally like you've got a month to record, you've got a month, a month to mix and master, and then you've got to send the album in type of thing. And yeah. it is what it is. And I mean, sometimes that's a good thing because you don't overthink stuff. And you know, at, yeah. at points I felt like I was opening up a can of worms. I was like, why are you reopening this album? Like, just, just leave it. But yeah. It was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the way it came out and I'm happy with the, the changes we did. So it was a, a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that's almost dangerous territory got into there, I think, because I think albums are kind of like films as well. I mean, a lot of movie directors always say that they never finish a film. They just abandon it. They, they get to a point where they yeah. just, you know, and I, I think if you had too much time to keep on looking at this album, keep on thinking about, oh, you know, I should change that. I think you could possibly never ever finish it like you know you just be every every week you'd be coming back thinking no i'm going to change that now i'm going to change that now and in some ways it's a shame because i always think an album is a snapshot of exactly what's going on then kind of you know so if you recorded an album last week and recorded it this week it would be it would be different completely different so yeah it's so true it's it's a time capsule for where yeah, you are musically yeah. and artistically in a time in your life so in that sense, it was, it was, it was draining. 
it was a draining thing because I kept you lose perspective after a while. You've been listening to an album for three yeah, years, yeah. you know, no one else has heard it. You're like, eventually, you put it on, you're like, one morning, you're like, this is the best album I've done. Next morning, you're like, this is the biggest heap of crap I've ever that that the human race will ever hear. I must just dump the whole thing, yeah. And then you, you, you lose perspective, you don't like, oh, is it good? Is it bad? Is that song good? Is it so, yeah, I, I, I definitely wouldn't want three years to do an album ever again yeah you know maybe a little more time than normal but three years is 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 pushing it a little bit ridiculous yeah did you were you working with a producer at all at any point through this anyone who could put actually put the brakes on and go do you know what that's enough that's great leave it or yeah you know spend a little bit more time on that or was it just down to you producing I, I produced this one. Um, I had a couple songs on the album that were produced by a friend in Germany, but it's only it's only two songs on the album, um, and those I was happy with. Yeah. Didn't, I didn't change anything. Right. I, I, I did. I redid the solos because I was unhappy with the tone. But it, you know, the, the the fundamentals of the song and the melody and the singing, I was dead happy with. Um, but you know, it's like if you're the artist, then and you're the producer, you got that, you got to have two completely, you got to have that line, two different hats, the performer artist hat, and then the producer hat that yeah. you've got to pop on. Yeah. You got to keep on switching between the two. And, you know, I, I did that on the last album, Perfection Kills, and I learned a lot by self-producing. So I didn't find it too hard when we were tracking it. It So, so that, that, that was, that was fine because I had a very clear vision you know, and 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 I tend to be quite a black and white person. Like I like it or I don't. It's it's yeah. not like whoa, I don't know. Uh, so that was fine when we were actually in the studio. It was that overthinking it afterwards. You know, like oh, let's give the new record a listen. Let me see what it sounds like after a couple of weeks of of just resting my ears. And then you're like, ooh, ooh, maybe is it? Oh, maybe I should redo that. That was for <laughs> me the, the 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 painful yeah. part. Like it was it was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I say, you know, dangerous territory to be in a bit, but I'm glad you got through it. I'm going to wrap this up with a, a question that I always like to finish on. I want you to imagine that we are way in the way in the future. Well, you know, it's it's years, years down the line, and the world is also a, a, a brilliant place. Everything has been cleaned up and great, and everybody's getting along, and it's great. It's happy. It's a very fantastic place, and we all just listen to Dan Patlansky records, and it's brilliant. Uh, until one day, uh, it's announced that this huge meteorite is heading towards the Earth, and it is going to just obliterate it. So, the president of the world, because there's a world president now, and um, he, he or she <laughs> gets on the phone, he, she, or, or them, whoever gets on the phone, and uh, and says, Dan, uh, I'm sure you've heard, you know, the terrible news that the world's going to end. Uh, but, you know, we want to put a good spin on this. We we figured we're going to have this huge party to, to go out on. You know, the human race is going to have this massive party together and we're going to put everything into it. Dan, we want you to come and play a gig for us at this party, you know. And um, and the question is, it's a two-part question. Uh, the first thing is, is who's going to play in your band at this, at this gig to end all of civilization? And what song would you pick to play? It's a great question. That is <laughs> a very, very good question. So I would play as a trio because it's my favorite yeah. uh, format to play in. I, yeah. I absolutely love it. 
Um, and now I've got to think about a live players. And I would have a guest or two popping on the stage just because just because we just because we can so well, don't, don't forget as well um, it's, it's in the future so you can have like holograms as well of, of, of musicians who are gone like you know so the, the, the right. whole world has opened up you can have anybody you want kind of you know uh, in the band or guesting or anything you know so just to make things so even more I awkward would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i would probably um have the band of gypsies as my rhythm section so yeah, uh, 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 Buddy Miles. Oh, now, now you've caught me because I can't remember <laughs> what the other cat's name was now. Uh, I had it literally a second ago. Anyway, Band of Gypsies is my rhythm section. I would have my all-time hero as a hologram. I would have Stevie popping on the stage. Yeah, um, definitely. I would have, and I'm yeah, sorry, David, but I'm sure David Gilmore would would have you know perished by maybe yeah by, by that at <laughs> yeah, that point or maybe medical medical yep. stuff is advanced robot parts and all that yeah it could be a, yeah could all be still, that you know yeah. so there we go i'll go with that let's go with a bionic um uh, kind of david gilmore would, would would definitely come up um i would have wow i would probably have Greg Allman coming up and maybe yeah. doing a bit of vocals because I've one of my favorite singers yeah. of, of all time. Um, and probably Art Neville on, on, oh, on okay. B3 yeah. maybe popping up too. So I, I, you know, I don't know if that would be the, the greatest party band to, to celebrate <laughs> like, Oh, the world's going to end, but it would be, it would be, it would be a very happy place for me, a very selfish yeah. place for me, because <laughs> but it would be it would be a, a good thing, man. I think, yeah. yeah. And what song are you gonna do? Ooh, ah. Um, I suppose it all depends. I mean, if we're gonna do a sad song, you know, because the world's ending, I'll probably do Ray Charles, "Drown in My Own Tears," which is yeah. like Ray Beautiful. Charles is yeah. one of my 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 all time favorites. And if it was more of a happy song, oh, do I know any happy songs? <laughs> um, <laughs> Pride and Joy by Stevie. You know, it's got a nice, nice up-tempo shuffle. Got a great, lovely groove. So it'll yeah. probably be one yeah. of those. But I think more, more than likely, it'll probably be the Ray Charles thing because the world's ending and, yeah. you know. <laughs> just, as, and just as the meteorite's coming out, I can see that last chorus playing out. That's Yeah, that, that'd be beautiful, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic dan it's been so wonderful to talk to you today it really has uh i want to just say lots of lots of good luck to you and i hope you know at some point we meet along the road again somewhere and uh and i hope you're having a great time and uh everybody check out dan's gigs he's uh he's a great player really is a great player and a great guy so uh dan thank you so much for talking to us today here on the blues podcast Hey, well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to reconnect with you, brother. I hope to see you uh, soon. And yeah, take, take it easy and great stuff. Au revoir. Thank you for joining us on the Blues Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And also make sure you leave us a review and a rating as this helps other people find the Blues Podcast. I'll catch you next time. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.